Well, it is just after one o'clock here in the afternoon of Wednesday, the 5th of May. At least it is here in the knee of Sid in the Fat Cave, deep, deeply below stately Chateau Shitsville. I hope it doesn't collapse, you know. There's been a bit of rain overnight and one is always unsure in this context. Now, what I want to talk to you about today, and I've got my cheat notes over here. Just excuse my rudeness as I reach for them. Got my cheat notes here because I'm getting so much inquiry currently about end of financial year sales. Like this year is a year like any other, and we're all going to wait and buy our cars for the end of financial year sales. And I thought I'd wait till today to discuss this with you because, frankly, what's happening here is you know, the new sales, new car sales report has just come out. In fact, the embargo on that information lifted just an hour ago. And I thought we should discuss that because it was an amazing result for new car sales in Australia in April. And I thought I'd just give you the broad brushstrokes there. And then we will talk about purchasing a new car in Australia for end of financial year, which is typically a big deal. It, it certainly it is if you're a tradie or some other the self-employed person, perhaps a masseuse. A quick shout out to all the masseuses who um, invariably watch this channel and people in, you know, occupations such as that. Quite, quite under, quite underrated uh, in our society. I think people like that. They make you feel good, don't they? Anyway, going to talk about that. So, New car sales, okay, were an absolute pearler in April. And the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, which, as you know, I do have some issues with from time to time, they are the agency that reports new car sales. And what they've said is that basically customer demand for new vehicles is continuing to recover. And they say it's going to recover strongly with last month's sales being the highest selling April on record. That's pretty big, isn't it? And the sixth consecutive month of growth. So that's all looking fairly positive, but there are some clouds on the horizon. And Christ knows if you've been to a dealer and been told that there's going to be six, eight, 12 months, whatever, wait on that particular new car of your dreams, you will know what those clouds are. Anyway, the data is that New vehicle sales were 92,347 in April this year, compared with the significantly lower result, according to the FCAI, of 38,926 in the corresponding month of 2020. So that's an amazing blip year on year for April. The result is also a 22% increase on the April of 2019 result of 75,500 ish. So year to date, sales are up 30.7 percent compared with 2020 with 355,995 new car sales this year compared with 272,287 in the previous year with growth recorded in all segments they say. The passenger vehicle market is up by roughly 8,900 vehicles which is 97 percent up month on month for year on year kind of thing April last year versus April this year. And the sports utility market, the SUVs that we all love, is up by 31,154 vehicles, which is 173% up. So, yes, we Australians do love our SUVs. The light commercial market's up by 12,300-ish, which also represents a neck-snapping improvement of 130-ish percent. So, Chief Executive of the FCAI, my favourite lobby dude ever, Tony Weber, said that confidence in the new vehicle market was high and could be expected to continue to grow through the remainder of the year. And he said, quote, new vehicle sales are a direct reflection of the performance of the broader economy in terms of consumer and business confidence. This time last year, we were seeing significant impacts from COVID-19 with less customer activity and inquiries to dealerships. Historically, the April result is between 70 and 80,000 vehicles. So this result is very significant. The sales trend is expected to continue as we enter the final two months of the financial year. He goes on and says it was also pleasing to see increases in sales for rental vehicles across all segments and growth in rental fleets will be an important building block supporting the recovery of the tourism industry across the country. That's from the uh, Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries. Now, 
Toyota was the market leader with 20,208 sales, followed by Mazda on about 10,000. Mitsubishi, 7,500. Ford, just over 7,100. Hyundai, 5,772. So Hyundai's slipping a bit. I don't know why. They're typically in about third spot, but currently overtaken by Mitsubishi and Ford. And let's face it, Ford's only real seller is the Ute, right? Without the Ranger, their Ford is kind of nowhere. So they're kind of a one-trick pony, and I guess they've got Everest hanging off the back of Ranger. And without the two of them, Ford is like in the Marianas Trench in the worst way. So anyway, Ford's going gangbusters there. Um, and Hyundai is now in fifth spot. Ford Ranger was, in fact, the top-selling individual model with 5,000 and change worth of sales, followed by the Toyota RAV4, 4,500 sales there. The Hilux after that, 4,222. And the Land Cruiser, which is soon to be replaced, 3,177. And Mitsubishi Triton, counterintuitively, with a waiting list over the horizon, but still selling 2,458 units last month of April. Okay, so... When you look at it, uh, when you look at it like that, passenger vehicles, you know, not that popular anymore. SUVs really driving the market, followed by light commercials, and light commercials are driven by four by four dual cab utes, basically, because they're the ones with all of the market share. And the top ten for April: Toyota, Mazda, Mitsubishi, Hyundai, Ford, Kia, Nissan, Subaru, Volkswagen, and MG. And just to look at the split between Kia and Hyundai. This is going to be hotly debated in Macquarie Park, which is where both of those head offices are. They're just around the corner from each other. Hyundai, 24,500 units. Kia in number six spot, so separated uh, by Ford there. Kia is uh, 22,880 so far this year. This is so far for the year, right? Toyota, Mazda, Mitsubishi, Hyundai, Ford, Kia, Nissan, Subaru, Volkswagen and MG. Right, and MG's a bit of a surprise too, isn't it? Talk about an upstart finding its way into the top 10. One of those few emerging brands that is managing to kick a goal. I don't know what MG's secret sauce is either because when you look at some other brands that have tried to kick a goal here, like Sanyong, multiple times, just gone bankrupt in South Korea, how inconvenient. And uh, when you also look at Great Wall, for example, they've been here for donkey's years, still not in the top 10. But MG... They're there. I don't know why. The top 10 vehicles, just to round those out, Ranger, RAV4, Hilux, Land Cruiser, Triton, CX-5, Corolla, ASX, i30, and Isuzu D-Max. And if you want to know what the uh, what the volumes were there, uh, New South Wales is number one with about 29,000 sales, followed by... Uh, this is not in order, so just bear with me. 23, nearly 24,000 in Victoria. And then uh, Queensland is next on 19,000. And the rest of the states following after that for a total of uh, 92,000 vehicles. So there you go. That's the new car sales position. Now, if you'd like to participate in the live stream today, just give me a bit of a chat. Join the chat and I will seem to be, and I'll do what I can here to uh, give as many of you a vicarious voice as possible in this show. So in uh, just a second, what I want to do is talk about what you should do if you're looking at capitalizing on the end of financial year sales, because this year is not a year like any other, and there are a bunch of supply type problems. In fact, the FCAI did talk about those supply problems in its news release today. In fact, Mr. Weber said that every vehicle company is focused on solving the issues caused by these impacts, which are essentially chippageddon, like the semiconductor shortage, which which basically means that if you haven't got an electronic controller, like some ECU, some black box that controls some aspect of the car, essentially you can't build the car, right? And there's a global chip shortage at the moment caused as a knock-on effect of COVID-19. Essentially, chip makers are just struggling under the weight of demand for things like TVs, laptop computers, and gaming consoles for people allegedly working from home, okay? And that's kind of left the car industry out in the cold a little bit. And this is exacerbated by the car industry looking over the horizon about a year ago at COVID-19 and going, 
Jesus, we better throttle back our ordering of computer chips. Otherwise, we'll have a mountain of computer chips and nothing to nothing to do with them. And in fact, they got that categorically wrong. And you know, demand for cars basically recovered. And chip manufacturers said, sorry, dude, can't help you because Samsung and Apple pay us more than you. And that's essentially the problem there. There's also some problem in the Suez Canal with shipping of new cars, and I haven't gotten to the bottom of that just yet, but do we really care about the detail? What it means is shipping has been affected, and this is also affecting the supply of new cars. The FCAI says all car makers are focused on solving the issues caused by these impacts and they are working with customers to keep them fully informed regarding supply issues and delivery dates. Well, yeah, they kind of are, except if you're Toyota and you're just every month you're saying, oh, we still don't know when we can supply that whatever so that's kind of where they're at at the moment which is quite frustrating if you put a deposit down like four months ago and your car is still you know four months away and it's not getting any closer kind of like fusion power or every promise elon musk ever makes about things like driverless cars so there's that Uh, The FCAI goes on and says it is possible there is pent up market demand which may be reflected in sales figures in the second half of 2021 as solutions are found to these issues. No, I don't know what uh, the solutions are pretty much known. It's just a matter of supplying more chips and fixing up whatever the impediment is in the shipping. So we don't we need not look too hard for what the solution is. It's an implementation problem, not uh, finding a solution problem. Anyway, if you are in the market for a new car, a lot of people go, great, let's buy a new car for end of financial year, okay? And that generally works out okay because the car industry is typically oversupplied with stock and Their biggest problem is getting people into dealers, right? Their biggest problem is demand, whipping up demand. And that's not the case this year because demand has outstripped the supply or the ability to supply new cars. And there's a couple of things I can see happening as a result of the end of financial year thing this year because car makers still want to get you in the door, okay? They want to lock you away. They don't want, like Toyota doesn't want to see you shopping at Mitsubishi, okay? So, you go to Toyota's website or something, they're going to say, great deal on Hilux. You come in, you you get stitched up at a dealer for a Hilux, you pay your deposit, and then you wait, okay? And that's not much good if you're a business customer and you want to get a tax deduction this year. You want to claim, I don't know, the instant asset write-off or something like that. So... If that's you, the number one with a bullet advice I can give you is do not wait until the second last week of June because you will not get your new car in that time. If you are desperate for a new car for tax reasons by June 30, act now and see what's available, okay? Do not wait because the longer you wait, the more likely it is you will be in one of these waiting games where... You know, the horizon is unknown. The distance to the car supply horizon is unknown. And you can only pay for the car when it's at the dealer and it's been registered for you. So you will not get the tax deduction unless you can pay for it by June 30, at least here in Australia. So there's that to consider. And the next thing is that what does the car industry generally do? It has to incentivize you in some way to come in by June 30. So they whip up this hype around end of financial year and they go unbeatable whatever and I'm actually tipping that unbeatable whatever is going to be more beatable this year than basically any other year because they don't have to try that hard to whip up more demand than they can supply all right it's less likely to be a financial incentive and more likely to be some sort of add-on like a warranty extension or a package of accessories. And that's really good value for a car company, right? So if you're selling a dual cab ute, rather than just cop it on the chin and uh, basically cut the price, what you could do is give the buyer $5,000 worth of accessories. That's like a retail price of 5000 bucks, which might be a bull bar and a sports bar and a roll-top tonneau or something of that nature. And that might be the tub line or whatever, mats. You know, that might add up to 5000 bucks worth of retail value, but it's probably only couple of grand worth of cost to them so they can offer you something that seems to be worth five grand when they only really pay a couple of grand for it and to incentivize you that's a better deal right and you have to say to yourself do I really want that crap or am I just gagging for it because they've told me it's quote unquote free by June 30 whatever okay so you got to think about that 
And if you are a non-business customer and you just want to take advantage of these sales, what I'd strongly suggest is that you've got to ask yourself, how desperately do you want this car? Because if you want it kind of desperately because your own car has been written off and the insurance company is only going to let you rent a car for a couple of weeks or something, then I would act now. Okay, I would start inquiring now because what's going to happen between now and June 30 is all of the people who have to act for tax reasons and procure a new car, they're going to jump into a queue and they're going to be in front of you. All right. So if you really want to take advantage of these end of financial year sales, such that, such as they are, like we will see in coming weeks how compelling or otherwise these end of financial year sales are. But if you want to take advantage of them, then I would not be waiting and let a whole bunch of business type customers jump into the queue in front of you, especially if you want a vehicle that might be popular in the sort of business domain, like an SUV wagon, which might be great for a personal trainer or something like that. They can stick all the kettlebells and whatever in the back of their SUV and, you know, that's just going to whip up the demand and mean that instead of having 200 people in front of you, you're going to have 500 people in front of you before your vehicle can be supplied. And even worse, if you want a recreational four-wheel drive ute, like a dual cab or something, because every tradie who's done okay this year is, and I suspect there'll be a few of them because all of these consumers haven't been spending up big on holidays and things of that nature, have they, with COVID? They've been renovating the house and doing whatever, so tradies are probably having a pretty good 2021. And if you're making a profit, your accountant is saying to you, mm, you might want to get a tax deduction here. So dual cab ute demand is likely to be pretty high between now and June 30. And if you want one recreationally and you want it sooner rather than later because you'd like to visit the Australian desert before it gets hot again or something, then you really should start getting in the queue now before 7,000 tradies jump in in front of you. And I wouldn't be expecting too much in the way of incentivization for June 30. So if you want to ballpark the availability of particular vehicles and you don't want to take the dealer's word for it, and you also want to get a realistic picture on price and you are in Australia, you can just inquire at my website. If you're a serious buyer, just go to autoexpert.com.au slash contact or click the red save thousands link up the top of every page on the website that'll get you to my contact form if it's a serious inquiry we'll try and help you out we'll try and get the best price for you and we will give you a no bullshit estimation as to how long you are likely to have to wait and if we really don't know we'll tell you we don't know so with that I think I'll leave it over to you now in the comments if you've got some question about what you should do between now and the end of financial year or any other kind of you know car buying question generally because it is a fairly stressful undertaking. I'm here now and I'm going to be here until about two o'clock if we get enough uh, you know decent questions and I'll try and sort that out. Hopefully it'll be a bit of a resource for you now at lunchtime, a live stream at lunchtime, or, you know, after the fact, you can watch it pre-recorded. And if you want that car buying advice, now would be the time. I'd also like to thank Clint Fish and also Mac M for their very kind donations. Um, Mac says, I just traded my WRX on a demo Golf R this week. Didn't even bother to haggle on the price. Was happy with the trade-in value though. That's an important point, Mac, because what you will notice is because of the constraint in new car supply, used cars are through the roof at the moment. So you might cop it on the chin in the context of not getting all that much of a discount, certainly not as much of a discount as you would have in May last year. But you will get a higher price for the car that you're disposing of because, you know, a lot of people who need a car now and don't want to wait eight weeks, they're looking for a late model used car and that sort of knock-on effect, that bump in demand, for, new, for used cars is really pumping up the price of used cars which are at historic highs and also I guess if you've got one more car than you need at your household and you've been equivocating about disposing of it now's a pretty good time because once the supply issues are sorted and consumer demand eclipses supply of new cars what we're going to see is a return to normal programming for the price of used cars and it's no longer going to be the happy story that it is currently so just uh, coming back to some more of your comments and inquiries now Tobias Gregory says 
Here's something I was thinking about the other day, John. Can the average consumer start looking at buying directly from the manufacturer and cut out the dealer entirely? Surely this must be a thing soon. That's an interesting kind of question. And here's how that happens, okay? Uh, Honda, for example, has essentially boned many of its dealers and they're uh, reverting to this agency model where the dealers don't own the stock, Honda owns it directly and you will buy direct from them, essentially. The dealer will just get like a cash handout for each sale, okay? So very different to normal uh, dealership models where the dealer owns the stock. And so if you can see that car on that showroom floor, that dealer owns it. It's his problem to sell it. He buys it on credit. The credit's a problem. It's burning a hole in his pocket. And this is a fundamental incentive to discount, okay? Uh, Particularly if demand does not exceed supply, right? What's happening increasingly, like Kia, for example, I was talking to uh, Damien Meredith, the chief operating officer of Kia, a couple of months ago about this, because Kia will sell you a car on their website today, no problem. You can just click buy now and buy it, essentially, quote unquote, from them. But what does from them actually mean? Because if you go to Kia's website now and you buy uh, a Sorento, uh, like a Sorento GT line or something, uh, 65 grand, buy now, thanks very much. What actually happens is that sale gets transmitted to the dealer in your primary market area. So whoever your local dealer is, he gets that sale. You think you might be dealing, I don't know, with Kia Australia. You're actually going to purchase that car from your local dealer. And that sale just gets credited to him. And the other problem I've got with buying from a manufacturer is there is no opportunity to discount. It's like, here's the price, buy it now. So as I see it, if you buy online from the manufacturer, what you're going to do is pay the full freight for that car, the maximum price, in other words. And if you go to the dealer, you are far more likely to get a discount, right? You get a thousand bucks off or you can say, what is this $3,000 dealer delivery charge, my good man? And he can say, well, that's just a ripoff, really. How about we knock a thousand bucks off and still be friends? And you go, yeah, okay. The reductio ad absurdum of which is you get a thousand bucks off, okay? You will not get a thousand bucks off if you buy now from the car company's website. And they really do need to address this because... You know, people hate going to a dealer. I get that. I hate going to a dealer. You hate going to a dealer. But if the options are click now and pay the full freight or go to a dealer and get some discount, no matter how trivial, I'll take go to the dealer, even if it's 500 bucks off. Like I would walk through the door at a dealership and shake hands and sit down and go through the endurance event, including Tiffany with the friggin' accessories. I would go through that for 500 bucks off, even if it was only 500 bucks off. So that's how I see that playing out. Now let's talk to Clint Fish now. He says, hey, John, if dealers are a long way behind in production. Okay, so dealers don't produce cars. Car makers do. Dealers are just vending machines for the end product. Okay. So if dealers are a long way behind in production, does this mean the yearly model update might change? It seems some might be waiting for a T-fill Everest. Um, uh, TF Mark III Everest as uh, well after the new one is announced. Okay, well, there are knock-on events, right? But what I'd suggest is that the product evolution is more or less set in stone. So when they do the R&D, they would have been doing the R&D on models soon to be updated three years ago, okay? And once they've done the fundamental design, they've got to do all of that R&D and all of that validation work that they do. And then they retool the factory and then they just pump cars out. What's actually happening at the moment is, with the chip shortage at least, they are still manufacturing vehicles. They're just not manufacturing them at the rate they would like to. It's not as if production lines have all closed or something. They're just operating at reduced capacity. Okay, Demand eclipses supply. Therefore, the window of fulfillment keeps dropping back and back and back. And that's just how this works. I don't see it affecting... Uh, model year 2022 production, for example, because that would have been set in stone and those processes would have been put in place afterwards. What we've seen already with the semiconductor shortage is things like automatic wipers not being available on uh, Kia Carnival Platinum, for example, right? Because they just 
presumably cannot procure that module from the supplier. So they're back to sort of manual windscreen wipers on a car that should have everything. So it's it's really just that kind of thing that we're talking about here. Now, Steve Boralexis says, uh, John, thank you for all that you do. My pleasure, Steve. Thanks for watching, mate. Uh, I wouldn't be worth doing it here just talking to myself or <laughs> talking to my camera in the friggin' garage, would it? So uh, you are an important part of this equation. Some would argue more important than me, mate. Uh, so anyway, Steve goes on and says, you gave me great advice regarding my shitbox Land Rover. I'm sorry to hear that, mate. Nobody deserves that. Uh, which proved invaluable, but also gave me some great points negotiating the purchase of my new car. Well, I'm glad I could help, Steve, because buying a new car is a singularly stressful event. And for many people, it's like, I know I've got to go to the dealership and I know I've got to go through this. And I know I'm going to have my hands wrapped around my ankle and I, I know ankles and I know the lubricant is optional, but I really want the new car and I've got to go through it. And what I just try and do here is I try and demystify this uh, process so that you know what's going on and give you some simple countermeasures that you can deploy to even up the playing field. It's still asymmetric warfare. They're still more powerful than you. But if you know more about what's going on under the hood, it's easier to get a fairer deal if you go in on your own. And look, we're happy to intervene and take over the whole process, negotiate the price and send you a contract and you sign it and the car gets delivered to you. But if you want to go it alone, I want you to go in fully equipped about exactly what happens in dealerships so you can understand all of that code word stuff like, oh, this deal is so sensational, I must get the sales manager and you think he's coming in to approve a great deal. He's just trying to close you. That's what he's there for. He's like, he's, they've have had a bit of a giggle and then the sales manager comes out and his job is to get you to sign because it's an unbeatable deal, buddy. You know, it's, it's these kinds of underhanded practices that everyone gets the sniff of it, but they really don't understand the granular detail about why this is happening now. And the more you understand, the easier it is you can intervene in your own best interest. And that's what we need here because this is an adversarial process. And I don't mean it's like warfare. It's just adversarial because you want the car as cheap as you can get it. And the dealer wants to charge you as much as he can get out of you in so many different ways, right? And you've got to negotiate that's the adversarial part of it you've each got to negotiate in your own best interests and the problem with that is you know it's like a it's like a welterweight getting in the ring with iron mike you're the welterweight who do you reckon's going to win you know it's it's kind of that anyway i'm pleased i could help steve that's good mate the narc files says uh, Isuzu didn't want to sell their last 4x2 demo model, signed on the dotted line and got 2000 bucks off the asking price for an ABN. Well, that's not a bad result. So what were you spending, dude? Like um, 35 grand or something? If you, get two, uh, if you get two grand off, that's more than 5% in the current market. More than 5% is probably a result. And two grand is not to be sneezed at, right? Like you can say, oh, I've just got two grand off or something, but you can have a bit of fun with two grand. Like you can have a nice weekend for two grand, a very nice weekend. So there's that. Um, James Sexton now says, Q Car Experience Center like the one that opened recently at Warringah Mall. Oh, yes, this is Car Expert. I'm Auto Expert. Albors and Co is Car Expert. I was having this SMS exchange with Al Bors the other day and where a couple of people had gone into Warringah Mall and said, is this John Cadogan's thing? to him which he must have loved i was quite chuffed anyway uh yeah i i like these environments i, I think they're on a, they've certainly got an interesting concept at car expert right because you can go to their joint at warringah mall and have a look at a few cars you can have a look at the whole market or all the competitors but you can have a look at a few cars in an environment that's not just designed to close you it's not a killing floor right it's not like an ambush with an x on it and you're standing on the x so that's kind of nice but the big problem, as I see it, with the car market is choice. Because if you want a medium-sized SUV or a small car, so let's say a Tucson RAV4 Sportage style of car, style of SUV, or an i30 Serato Corolla style of car, how many different vehicles like that do you reckon there are in Australia for you to choose between? And I'd opine that there's roughly 30 
that you could choose from in each one of those respective categories and so many others as well. Like there's no shortage of seven-seat SUVs and there's certainly no shortage of luxury vehicles you can choose from. So the problem as I see it with that car expert uh, concept is that some manufacturers pay for the floor space to display their cars at Warringah Mall, but you are not getting a taste test of all the competitors. So one of the fundamental challenges, I think, for new car buyers is to come up with a short list because you can't go out and check out 30 different cars, but you could go out and check out four or five. It would be nice, however, if those four or five were selected or you know, where you were where you were given the choice of four or five, not based on which car makers were paying the rent on the floor space, and instead on which one of which four or five of the thirty that are available are the right sort of new car for you, right? And uh, that's the big problem as I see it. So if you're in a medium SUV, how do you know? And I, I'd be saying the new Tucson is definitely worth a look. RAV4, definitely worth a look. The CX-5, definitely worth a look. Okay, and then the other choices would be kind of down to you because Sportage is looking a bit old now. And, you know, some of the Euro cars are okay, but Euro cars tend to be more expensive to run and not as reliable. You might want to inflict a Volkswagen on yourself because they are beautiful cars that are great to drive but you have to you know play russian roulette with customer support and things of that nature and also operating cost and reliability so there's all of those things to consider shortlist is a big problem even awareness of the competitors is a big problem if you're not a proper car pervert right so let's uh, let's just keep rolling on some of these comments james Callum Bocchus. I hope I didn't mangle that too badly, James. James says, there is a person by the name of Scotty in America, but he talks about the American-based vehicles. Yeah, he does. Scotty Kilmer. Kilmer? Kilmer? I always get that mixed up. Anyway, Scotty's a big Toyota fanboy, and I get that because Toyotas are very reliable. They're great cars generally to own over the long term. And certainly here in Australia, you do get excellent resale value for vehicles like Land Cruiser Hilux and even Kluger and presumably Fortuna as well, although it's a comparatively small seller and I haven't really done the research there. But, um, you know, they're solid commercial propositions for ownership and reasonably reliable. My only criticism there is that Toyota's the king of mediocrity and they are among the last of car makers to implement expected technology like Toyota really dragged the chain with Apple CarPlay for example everyone else seemingly had it first that's a that's a classic example of being the king of mediocrity because they're so far out in front that they feel like they really don't have to compete uh, Rick Adzo says hi John any suggestions for the best mid-sized SUV for a 75 year old woman wanting to trade her 2014 Land Rover Discovery 4 due to high dealer maintenance cost needs room for a dog in the wagon rear. Yeah, look, I'd be leaving all of that Euro crap behind in this situation because at 75, how much pain do you want to experience in the automotive domain? Not much. If you want to put a dog in the back, you're looking at those vehicles we just discussed, like Tucson and RAV4 and maybe Sportage, although Sportage is looking a bit old now, I'd have to say. And a newbie is in the wings for later this year, towards the end of the year, as I understand it. CX-5 is pretty polished. You could look for something bigger if you wanted, more Disco 4 size, like you could look at Sorento or Santa Fe, or you could look at Mazda CX-9. You could look at Kluger and Essentially, it would be whatever she's happy with because you got to get subjective buy-in from the purchaser. And without wanting to be a sexist bastard about it, women are very in touch with their own feelings and they have to feel happy about it. And they do make these, typically, generalising, they do make these snap determinations. I don't like that. And that's a kind of insurmountable obstacle. So if you get, I don't like that, you'd want to be saying, well, Sorrento's looking pretty good and there's also CX-9 or perhaps Kluger because the way these dominoes often fall, it's really a matter of finding one that we like. And they're all equally good in the context of dog goes in the back, fuel goes in them, they start every time, they've got a long warranty, they get down the road okay. And all of that stuff that a car pervert might care about, you know, like ride and handling and that stuff, well, 
it's all going to be good enough, I'd suggest, for many buyers, not just 75-year-old women who want to take their dogs for a walk. So there's horses for courses when it comes to the priorities of car buyers. Uh, Ant S says, hey, John, I was wondering how dealership finance works. Do they have an agreed interest rate with bank or financial providers and then jack up the interest rate to unsuspecting buyers? Well, it used to work kind of like that. In fact, it used to be the wild, wild west. And the F&I guy, the finance and insurance guy at dealerships, he would be making 350000 bucks a year on commissions, right? Not that way so much anymore. The interest rate is tightly regulated, more or less. There's only a small amount of variability there. But basically, what you've got to be careful about when you go to a car dealership is you think you're buying a new car, okay? And often you are conducting three separate financial transactions. You're procuring the new car, you're procuring finance, and you're selling your old car. And if you don't think of them in toto, like if you don't think of those three transactions as separate transactions, what a car dealer can do is give you a really, really good deal on one and then bend you over on the other two, okay? So you've got to be careful about all of those things. And it's a great idea to shop independently for finance on the new car and know what you can get from some independent finance provider. And then when you go to the dealership, concentrate on the new car okay and if you want to throw a trade in and happy days do that later say oh you know what i might trade that car in after you've negotiated a price on the new car then figure out what the trade-in's going to be okay do that separately then you're separating the transactions and they can't play the shell game on you and look over here while i insert this knife <laughs> over here on the other side in your ribs right and then you're going to have to sit in front of the finance guy unless you have a tanty about it. And you might as well hear what he's got to say. But it's no good unless you've already done the research and you know what kind of finance offer you can get independently. And then you can throw it down like an ultimatum after the finance guy has had his say about here's what we can give you. If it's a big disappointment burger in comparison to what you've been able to secure independently, then you just say to him, look, I can get independent finance like this. Can you beat that, right? And if they go away and say, no, dude, we can't, then you know you're doing okay on the finance, right? So this is all about preparation. It's very important to be prepared when you're doing all of that stuff. But the dealerships all love to stitch you up into their in-house finance. It's generally bad value off the bat. And it's generally a better idea to know exactly where you are from a finance point of view before you set foot in the dealership, okay? Once you know that, you can go there and then you can throw it down like an ultimatum. Like, well, I can get this finance independently if you can beat that, great. Dealers are all heavily incentivized by manufacturers to convert to the in-house finance. So, for example, a Mazda dealer gets a pat on the head and an envelope under the table often for converting you to whatever Mazda finance is. It's usually just a white label finance product. And the final thing I'd suggest about finance is that finance is not just a one size fits all proposition because you've got chattel mortgages and car loans and low dock loans and unsecured car loans and novated leases and all of these other different ownership slash finance structures and it's very important for you to figure out which one of those suits you because that can be worth thousands of dollars to you it can cost you thousands if you get it wrong and if you're unsure definitely sit down in front of your accountant and work that out, okay? What kind of finance is better for me? Like if you're self-employed and the car is mainly for business use, a chattel mortgage might be a great idea, for example. And this is not financial advice. It's not. But a chattel mortgage might be a great idea because your accountant might tell you that you can claim the GST on the purchase of the vehicle in the very first business activity statement after the purchase. Whereas with other forms of ownership for businesses, perhaps you won't be able to do that and you'll have to claim the GST on the purchase incrementally over the term of the payments. All right. And these are the details that are really important to sort out before you go to the dealership. So Matthew, or sorry, not Matthew, Malcolm Glass van der Beek says, <laughs> I hope you've got a horizontal business card, dude. Anyway, he says, hi, John, I just got a new Prado and wondering, should I get ceramic paint done on my car as the quote I got was 700 bucks? 
No. My advice would be paint protection is generally a scam. And before you arc up anyone about that, what I'd suggest is go to the terms and conditions of all ceramic paint protection, certainly all ceramic paint protection that I've been able to find, and have a look at what you need to do to comply with the terms of the warranty, okay? Inclusive of annual inspections of the ceramic treatment by an approved party. Like, you've got to be kidding. And this is in the context of modern paint not being like paint from the olden days, okay? Paint from the olden days was pretty soft, but modern paint is actually a colour coat with a rock-hard clear coat over the top, okay? And the clear coat protects the colour, all right? So how much protection does it actually need? And I'd suggest that the 700 bucks you pay for the ceramic protection, which you probably don't want to be don't want to be or are able to uh, meet all of the terms and conditions to comply with the warranty for the ceramic protection. Okay, so for that 700 bucks, you could buy a shitload of detailing. Like you could get your car detailed and polished and waxed twice a year for a few years and your paint would be just as well protected in practice, in my view. And if you are going to take your Prado off-road or something, do you really care anyway? Like it's not a new baby, Right. You don't have to protect it in the manner of a new baby. It's a car. It's going to get paint chips. It's going to get scratches down the side. It needs reasonable protection, but most of the protection you do for the paint is washing the car every couple of weeks, using a bit, using a proper detergent, maybe with some wax building or something of that nature, and just get it polished a couple of times a year. Save you 700 bucks. It's generally a rip-off. And if they say, you know, 10-year guarantee or 7-year guarantee, 5-year, whatever, just go to the website and read the terms and conditions that go with that guarantee and prepare to be friggin' amazed. I know I was when I looked at that. Now, Takistoto Tango says, uh, is the I-20N a similar size to the Polo in terms of space, uh, rear and boot? Yeah, it is. Uh, hoping to purchase as a second car for the family for trips within Sydney Metro and found that the Polo is quite spacious as a city car. Yeah, it is. Like, as a city car, the Polo's okay. The, the one thing I'd say about I-20N, right, is that it's a performance car. It's a practical performance car. You can put your stuff in it. You could put a couple of kids in it, no problem. But performance cars are not like ordinary cars. They're, there's a price to be exacted by for owning one, right? And if you're a proper performance nutcase, the price is okay. But the price is a lack of refinement, certain harshness when you're just driving it down to the shops or something, okay? So you'd really want to say to yourself, Am I a proper performance enthusiast? Am I going to use the performance potential of an i20N? Am I going to chuck it into a corner and get a bit of three-wheel action happening from time to time? And will I really love that? And is that enough to pay for the detrimental aspects of ownership, like the harshness and the lack of refinement that go hand in hand with owning a proper performance car? Interestingly enough, this plays out in the prestige domain as well. I mean, I've just driven... Uh, BMW M3 competition, BMW M4 competition. I'm driving a BMW M2 CS at the moment, and they are all just delightful performance cars. In the in, in, through the prism of performance, they're friggin' awesome. But I'm not sure I would like to own one or at least live with driving one if all I did was commute in traffic, because they are very harsh and. You know, they're, they're inelegant. <laughs> the M4 competition with the carbon seats in particular is inelegant to get in and out of in a tight parking spot, let me tell you. Particularly if you're a chick wearing a mini skirt. I didn't do that test, but I'm imagining it. If you're a dude wearing a pair of jeans, it's not that dignified. But if you're a chick wearing a mini skirt, not that practical. I'm tipping. Okay, so Rock and Rod says, there's an interesting noise out there. Hang on a sec. Oh, it's just pissing down with rain. That's okay. Now, Rock and Rod says, I'm looking to trade my 2016 Honda Civic. My biggest doubt is the fuel. The fuel. My biggest doubt is the fuel. Most of my drive will be on the highway, about 60 kilometres a day to and from work. Would a diesel car be a good choice? Okay, 60 k's a day times five, presumably 300 k's 
a week on the highway. That's 15,000 k's a year worth of highway driving. Nice little diesel would uh, be absolutely suited to that kind of operation. Yeah, yeah. And diesels are typically about 20% more fuel efficient. And for cruising on the highway, they're also excellent because you're not likely to be sitting there at 1,500, 1,800 RPM in top gear. And pretty close to maximum torque production. So what that actually means is at wide open throttle at those kinds of revs, you'll be making uh, lots of mid-range power. And that means the transmission will not have to shunt around all that much to deliver the performance that you are demanding with your right foot. Okay, And that's what makes diesels seem so effortless. So yeah, I'd suggest diesels pretty good for that kind of uh, commitment to highway driving. Ant S says, uh, thank you for the invaluable information. Have a coffee on me. There's a five-buck donation. Thank you very much, Ant. That's good. Um, you don't have to donate. Okay, I'm, I'm great. I'm completely cool with anyone who wants to support my work, but I'm happy to sit here until 2 o'clock and just help you out, okay? Because buying cars is a stressful undertaking. You do it once every three to five years if you're lucky slash unlucky. The dealer's doing it all day long every day, okay? So who's more match fit? You know, I just want to level the playing field if I possibly can. And I also want to reiterate my statement of earlier, which is if you want a car between now and June 30, given the supply constraints in the market currently, do not give it another month. OK, don't wait. Act now. Figure out exactly what the supply scenario is, particularly if you need to do the deal for tax reasons. Okay. Uh, Mac M says most dealer service centers do James, do James, do they? Uh, this is halfway through a conversation, not going there. GHS77, one of my favorite long-term YouTube commenters, says, and this is so typical, okay? A nice gay t-shirt, John. You wore this the other day. I've got five of these. It's for continuity. If I'm doing a job that takes me like four or five days to shoot, I've got five of these shirts. They're identical. And that means I, I don't have to inflict my unwashed shirt of five days duration onto some poor bastard out there while I'm shooting some long project. So that's probably more information than you guys need when it comes to the glamour that goes together with this kind of work. But if you ever wonder why you see me wearing this camo shirt a lot, it's because it's one of five, dudes. Uh, GHS77 says, it is time to wear a nice bright shirt for us, either the paddle pop or the watermelon one. Surprise us. Uh, well, bad news, GHS77. I threw away both the watermelon and the paddle pop shirt because I hate red shirts on uh, TV. TV and video. I don't think red works particularly well as a colour for humans on video. You'd have to be, you know, Carmen Miranda or something, which I am not. And uh, it was getting a bit old anyway, I thought. So I got a bunch of other sort of even more nerdy shirts that I will unveil over coming weeks. That'll be something to look forward to, I'm sure. Uh, James Barry says, what's your thoughts on the 2021 Pajero Sport versus the new model MUX? Don't really need seven seats, though. Just want a long internal boot with uh, the flat fold seats that can go off-road. Okay, I'd suggest this. I really like the all-wheel drive system in Pajero Sport. That Super Select 2 all-wheel drive system. It gives you the singular ability to engage four-wheel drive on a high-traction surface. And it's pretty proven. It's been around for ages, works really well. I've got one in my Triton uh, G whatever out there. And it works fantastic, right? It, it, it's just really good, even for backing up my frigging driveway from hell in the wet. Okay, which is a bastard in two-wheel drive. It's like wheel spin o'clock the whole way up in the wet. Or you just engage all-wheel drive mode in high range and it's not a problem. It's the gentlest, most tractable experience. So chalk and cheese in those kinds of marginal traction situations. And by marginal, I mean where you, you can't really justify engaging uh, low range and locking the center diff because there's still a bit of wind up with the relatively high traction turns in my driveway. Okay, I wouldn't do that in, uh, I wouldn't do that with the center diff locked. So I really like that. I really like the fact that it's a proven platform and the new MUX is so new, like it's based on the current MUX slash DMAX, that we don't really know if it's going to have teething problems and 
I'm also a little bit iffy about Isuzu's commitment, if that's the right word, to customer care. I think they're a bit Volkswagen if the chips are down for you. And certainly that's a risk. And that's just my own impression based on consumer feedback that I've had over the years. Your mileage may vary. But if it was me, I would be looking at the value proposition of that Pajero Sport. And the only thing I'd say about that is the rear end of that car is just completely ugly but hey you don't really look at it when you're driving do you and the value proposition is very solid so i'm a little bit aesthetically challenged by pajero sport but on every other criteria i think it's great value so there you go andrew dean now toyota fog lamp for a 2005 echo 560 bucks from the service center in bateman's bay wtf that is x1 went on ebay for 60 bucks yeah look spare parts prices are out of control across the board and obviously one of the factors playing into that is as as dealership margins shrink on new vehicles they keep looking at interesting ways to prop up their business model and one of the most easy targets is spare parts right it's the service department parts and parts and servicing is quite lucrative at dealerships whereas you know increasingly there's less and less margin on new cars so yeah i'd be shopping around i'd I'd be shopping internationally for things like lights on echo because look at what's available jdm you know there's plenty of uh, there's plenty of exporters where you'd be able to just find the right part and buy it on ebay or amazon or something of that nature i assume and you'll probably save hundreds and hundreds of dollars by doing so now uh unpronounceable istic says <laughs> stay away f- uh, no i'm not going to do that one that's just uh, matthew rafferty says toyota was the king of mediocrity but their current crop is a little more adventurous in looks and they have now adopted all the expected tech and luxuries yeah they've got apple carplay now but i'd suggest they're still the king of mediocrity like show me the show me the toyota ev show me the toyota plug-in hybrid Okay, they're still the king of mediocrity. And I'll have a report coming out, a pre-recorded report coming out tomorrow showing you in part exactly what I mean by that. Because Toyota's really keen to lobby in the background about, you know, promoting hybrid this and hybrid that without, you know, really getting on the front foot and saying, you know what, the market's going EV, we're going to lead the charge. They're not going to lead the charge because they're the king of mediocrity. And look at how long it's taken them to go from 200 series Land Cruiser to 300 series Land Cruiser. That's been geologic time. I agree that Corolla and Camry are the most exciting Corolla and Camry that we've seen for decades, okay? But most exciting Corolla? Yeah, okay. Um, Tobias Gregory now. I'm going to keep doing this for about another eight minutes. We'll uh, we'll sign off at about two o'clock. If you've got a question, hit me up in the chat. I'll try to get through as many as I can. And uh, these lunchtime live streams are going to be much more of a feature in the weeks ahead. Okay, so if you miss out today, just stay tuned. Uh, do subscribe and click the uh, bell notification icon. And that way, when I go live and inflict myself on the world via the YouTube platform, you will get a stalking type notification from Google slash YouTube. Yes, and that's what I want. Uh, Steve Stevens says, oh, that's very kind. Steve, a $10 donation there. About to go and buy a 2021 Yaris Cross for the wife. They have the exact car in stock. That's always good. The uh, In southwestern Sydney, any advice? Also, I'm a Leo, a law enforcement officer, or is that a star sign thing? Anyway, and wonder if I should be in uniform or not. Ah, that kind of Leo. I don't think <laughs> I don't think it's going to help or hurt. I'd be double checking the uh, the holster. I, I wouldn't be drawing my weapon as part of a negotiation strategy, no matter how heated things become. But you're probably fairly under control there. I don't think the I really don't think uniform's going to help. But what I think is going to help is if you just go there and do it like this. Go there without the wife. Okay, and whatever the price is on Yaris Cross, and I haven't got time to look it up at the moment, but let's just say the one you want is thirty-five grand, whatever. Like it doesn't matter. 
let's say 35 grand on some hypothetical car, okay? That's the drive away price. What you say in your uniform with your Glock holstered up and, you know, your handcuffs and your taser and your cross draw thing, I hope you've got the tactical. Uh, thigh rig on as well because you never know when there might be some terrorist incident on the way to you know buy a car go in looking like the business but just say look my wife's going to cut my nuts off if i spend a dollar more than 30 and see what they say and make sure that she can't be contacted because a classic ploy here dude is to is for them to say well i'll give her a call Okay, and you've got to say, no, I can't. She's a nurse in intensive care and she may not answer the phone at this time. Or she's been working night shift and she's asleep now and she'll cut cut them off and sew them back on again and cut them off again if I wake her up. Some excuse of that nature that, uh, that validates her inability to be contacted. Okay. And you just see where it goes from there. And it's just like you both got this problem. Like they want to get rid of this Yaris Cross and you want to buy it and the person holding your limit is at arm's length and unreachable and she's got a sharp knife and your glands in mind, right? And then just see what happens. Walk out if necessary. If you can't reach an accommodation, just walk out of the damn joint and go, well, I'm sorry we can't reach an accommodation here. I'm going to keep looking. I'll uh, I'll drive around and see what I can get for, from some other dealers, but here's my card. Give me a call. And if you change your mind and things loosen up in the pricing domain, and they hate that because that's not, that's not you in your uniform walking out the door, dude. That's you and your money walking out the door. And this is the worst thing for a car salesman. It's like they can't imagine. This is like the four horsemen of the commercial apocalypse. They hate that. And then just see what happens over the next day or so. And you can all you can always come up, right? You, you can't come back, though. If you go, yeah, okay, 35, then it's a done deal. And you're not going to save anything, right? And 30 is a believable number. 30 is like, yeah, that's our budget. That's as high as we can stretch. And you can always come up. You can say, look, I found another 32, but it's got to be a secret. Otherwise, snip, okay? You could do that 24 hours down the track. You can say, look. That's absolutely as high as I can go. And they've had to concede less than 10% and they've got to look at the opportunity cost of how long it's going to take for somebody else to come in and want exactly that car, right? The car is burning a hole in their pocket financially, okay? So there's some good reasons for them to say, yeah, okay, dude, 33, 32, whatever. So that's how I'd play it, okay? Just go that way and just see how it plays. But definitely don't, like... I don't know if they did the dynamics of ambushes at the police academy, okay? But they work like this. You stand on the X, you get shot in the face, okay? Bad result. Don't do that, okay? So whatever track they try and walk you along in the dealership, don't follow. Go and stand somewhere else. Just get them on your X, okay? Make it your ambush. And this is your ambush. Your ambush is 30 grand or I'm walking, okay? Because then you can come back and you can say, well, 32 is as high as, that's the way to play this. And you're not on their X, okay? Very important tactical distinction. Who's standing on the X? Uh, A couple more minutes of this and then I am out of here and I won't detain you in an otherwise perfectly serviceable Wednesday afternoon any longer. So uh, Nathan O'Connor says, uh, no, no, that's a response. Steve can see that. Rob Maxwell says, I tow a two and a half ton caravan with a 2016 Ford Ranger 3.2. I am after a new tow vehicle. What is your recommendations? Well, Okay, how heavy is this? Two and a half ton. You could look at Triton. If you're happy with Ranger, go again, dude, because that 3.2 engine is a pretty good tow platform. But basically, any of the dual cab utes will do this. Two and a half ton is kind of at the limit of what I would do with a dual cab ute, but it's conservatively within their tow platform capability. And if you set it up right, it'll be good. If you've been happy with the Ranger, go again. Like Ford. Ford's not the best at customer service, but, you know, if, if you've had a good result and you like that vehicle, do you really want to go down the track of a, a new learning curve with a whole new operating system, or do you just want to slip on a new one, like replacing your old Uggies with a set of new Uggies or something? Now, Luke Robinson said, Hilux Rogue advertised at 74 and a half grand, drive away. What do you think about the cash offer of 71? I'd say 70. Like it's not that much of it's not that much of a concession. Like we're talking about four and a half grand out of seventy. We're talking about a bit more than five percent. 
that's not much of a discount, okay? So just say, look, 70, otherwise they're coming off. I don't want that. Um, the Modelling News says, Hi, John, I love your work. Thank you very much. Modelling News, uh, looking at an LDV G10 people mover. I know risky proposition, but looking at uh, a near new van under warranty, petrol or diesel, better proposition, city driving, thanks. Well, if it's near new, get a mechanic to look at it. You know, petrol or diesel is really just a matter of, if it's a whole bunch of short trips, get a petrol. If it's more... Uh, using it all day long kind of thing, then diesel might be okay for you. But get any used example checked out thoroughly by a mechanic. The other thing I'd suggest about LDV G10 is go and have a look at the ANCAP safety rating for that vehicle and compare it with something like a Carnival, okay? Because you might be putting your people in that car all day long. And last time I looked, if memory serves, that LDV G10 does crash a bit second rate. So just have a look at the ANCAP rating and make sure you're happy with its uh, ambient level of safety. Now it's just gone two o'clock, we'll do two more and then I will uh, cease inflicting myself on the public because Christ knows you've, you've been above and beyond, you're suffering in silence so stoically. Uh, let's do Sinclair V, uh, uh, sorry, Sirdhar V says, uh, with the new Tucson, do you reckon... We would see a lot of good deals on the Tucson runout model and what do you think is a good deal for the elite grade? Look, I think if you can get 10% off whatever the recommended driveway price is, you're doing well in the current market. Whether or not there's a good deal on a runout model really, do, really does depend on ambient stock levels out there in dealer land, okay? If there are a lot of old models to sell, the run-out sales get more compelling. And if the run-out stock levels have just about been exhausted, there's no point in discounting them, and really there's not much of a discount. So you really do have to do a taste test on this, mate. I'd, I'd love to give you the definitive answer, but without doing the research now that, I, that I'm suggesting you do, I won't have a better answer for you than that. So sorry I can't be you know encyclopedic about this stuff. And finally today, Nathan O'Connor says... No, we're not going to do that. That's just a that's just a comment that pertains to another conversation. So we'll get a, a real question here. Um, how about we look at uh, Mac M again now? Said so the trend at the moment seems to be that new models are significantly more expensive than their predecessors. Do you think this will continue? And will all brands follow this? At the moment. I think the car industry is profiteering from its supply and demand imbalance, right? They can't supply the vehicles to meet the demand and therefore this is placing upward pressure on prices. And what's going to happen in practice is that once uh, chip gate or chip again, whatever you call it, the semiconductor shortage is resolved, as it will be in time, once production gets back to normal, once supply gets back to normal, we are going to see the demand for new cars eclipse supply. And we will see that because all car makers compete fiercely with one another. All right. They can manufacture more cars than the market can consume, basically. So there's always a little bit of oversupply, except when there are temporary inversions in the market like we're seeing now and when the status quo re resumes itself what we're going to see is demand exceeding uh, sorry is supply exceeding demand right and that will place downward pressure on prices and it doesn't really matter what the advertised price of a car is right what matters is what's the transactional price and I'm talking about downward pressure on transactional prices. So once supply is right up there again and demand is kind of ambient, what we're going to see is the uh, market inverting itself based, uh, compared with how it is now. And we are going to see downward pressure on transactional prices. And that's all you care about, right? Because let's say the advertised price is 50 grand for a car. If you can get it for 45, happy days. It doesn't matter what the advertised price is, it really matters what you can get it for. And unfortunately, at the moment, with supply being constrained and demand being relatively high, because especially here in Australia, COVID hasn't been as bad as everyone was saying. So there's a bit more confidence in the market, you know, that pumps demand up, supply is still a bit screwed. So temporarily, upward pressure on prices, if you really need to buy a car between now and June 30, 
go for it, but don't expect as much of a discount as you would get in an ambient market at other times. But if you can afford to wait, definitely wait. If you need a car, don't wait until the second week of June, though. So anyway, I'm going to leave you to it right now. It's four minutes past four on Wednesday, the 5th of May. I really do appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your otherwise serviceable Wednesday to spend it watching me gibber at a camera again. Uh, Nobody really deserves that, but I thank you for doing it. And I will be live streaming at you before you know, and I'll be dropping another pre-recorded video tomorrow. And it's basically going to be on Victoria and its curious inversion, its decision suddenly to offer some trivial and largely bullshit incentives to a few, a handful of upcoming EV buyers. But the tax that they're proposing to impose on EV owners, that's still in. That's a curious sort of uh, confluence of events and Don't the lobbyists just love it? They've said some amazing things about that as well. We'll get into all that tomorrow in a pre-recorded sense. I've just uploaded that video. It'll drop tomorrow and uh, I'll catch up with you in a live stream either tomorrow or on Friday. So thanks very much for your time today and I will see you some other time.